Well, today uh, we're going to continue in our conversation and our series uh, that we've been in talking about talking about escape, uh, talking about seasons, times, moments, situations, circumstances. We're just put under a lot of pressure, and uh, we need to get out of those situations. And we started looking last week at the life of Jesus and how Jesus, uh, how Jesus escaped pressure. I think sometimes when we think about escape, we, we see it as maybe a sign of weakness, but the reality is escape isn't necessarily a, a, a sign of weakness. What it is is a sign of wisdom. Escape isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. And Jesus demonstrated for us patterns of escape when the pressure was on him. And many of us follow lots of patterns in our life. In fact, many of us have adopted patterns in our life. Maybe we saw those patterns in our parents or people who influenced us, and we have adopted into our lives patterns of escape that aren't necessarily biblical and that aren't necessarily healthy. And so what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus and ways in which Jesus demonstrated the wisdom to escape pressures and situations. We learned last week that Jesus provided a pattern for us of escaping pressure. All of us deal with pressure. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest person in this room. It doesn't matter if you're the oldest person in this room. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or if you've been a Christian for a lot of years. All of us deal with pressure. And so we, what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus' life and how did he escape pressure? What was the pattern of behavior and thought and action that he used to escape behavior? And then following in that pattern, Hebrews chapter 2, Verse 18 says this, For because he himself, talking about Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, Scripture makes it very clear, and um, I'm going to encourage you this week during your daily 20 to read the book of Hebrews. What a powerful powerful book. And we're going to talk a little bit about Hebrews today and some of the themes that exist in Hebrews. But one of the major ideas of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is this pattern for us, that he is the answer for our need, that he is our salvation, but he also is a pattern in our life. And what the writer of Hebrews says is that Jesus dealt with the pain, he dealt with the pressure, he dealt with the heartache of temptation. And because he dealt with temptation, he knows how you and I deal with temptation. It's not as if he's some God in heaven who has no idea what it feels like to be you. What Hebrews tells us very clearly is that Jesus, that Jesus understands your pressure. He understands your temptation. He understands what you deal with. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 says this, since then, we have a great high priest, again talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a, what a powerful, powerful concept that Scripture teaches us. Because Jesus allowed himself to be tempted, to come under the same pressure that you and I have gone under. He has the ability to sympathize. He has the ability to identify with the pressure that you go under, that I go through. He has the ability to come into that moment and say, I know exactly how you feel in this situation. And because I know exactly how you feel in this situation, let me model for you how to come to the throne of grace how to receive mercy even when you're under pressure. How many times in our lives, because of the pressure we're under, because of the temptation that we deal with, do we feel like we are far from God and unable to approach His throne? And yet Hebrews teaches us that the very existence of Jesus, that His behavior on the earth was to establish for us a way in the middle of our pressure to come into the peace of God's presence through His mercy and grace and to escape what otherwise would have destroyed us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Get this. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Remember, dealing with pressure, escaping pressure, isn't an issue of weakness. It isn't an issue of cowardness. It is an issue of being wise, understanding I can get out from under, I can get through, I can get beyond this high pressure situation. We learned this last week as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. We learned that temptation always comes after your identity, purpose, and your destiny. Because you have an enemy who hates you, he's going to come after your identity, he's going to come after your purpose, and he's going to, have to, he's going to come after your destiny. And yet Jesus, yet Jesus provided for us a pattern or a way of life whereby we overcome that. And in the same way that the enemy of your soul came, comes after your identity, in the same way that he comes after your purpose and your destiny, he came after Jesus and Jesus overcome every single time. Now, I want us to learn some things about temptation today. Beyond what we learned last week, I want us to recognize and understand that temptation attempts to normalize thoughts, actions, and behavior that compromise our righteousness. I wish that I had like hours today to just go through line by line with you and unpack the book of Hebrews, because it is so powerful. So during your daily 20 this week, I encourage you, start in the beginning. And you know, for those of you who may be new to North Place, maybe you're unfamiliar with, with what I mean when I see, say daily 20. Here at North Place, we have a basic commitment that we have made to one another as a community, and that is this. No matter who we are, uh, no matter what our maturity level is, all of us can commit to 20 minutes a day. 
we can commit to five minutes a day in worship. And so all of us here at North Place, we've made a basic commitment that we're going to spend at least five minutes worshiping God. That means that I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to orient myself toward the reality that God is God and that I am not. That no matter what my circumstances are, He's still holy, He's still good, He's still lovely, and I'm going to worship Him. And so when we talk about our daily 20, we're talking about the fact that all of us are committed to at least five minutes of worship. We commit to at least five minutes of prayer. This is when we talk to God. We tell God, this is what's going on in my life. We confess to God the sin that is going on in our life. We, we talk to God about our problems and our circumstances. Maybe you're new to a prayer life and you don't have a prayer life. Well, all of us, all of us can do at least five minutes. So five minutes of worship, five minutes of prayer, and then five minutes of listening. All of us have made a commitment that I'm going to take five minutes and just be quiet. Most of us talk too much. Many of us have so many avenues in our life where we feel like we're not being heard that when we get alone with God, we're so desperate to be heard that we don't have the discipline of listening. And so we know that about ourselves here at North Place. And so we've made the commitment out of discipline. We're going to take five minutes and we're going to listen to God. That means I'm going to be quiet and just hear what God has to say to me. So I'm going to get out a journal. I'm going to write that down. So five minutes in worship, five minutes in prayer, five minutes in listening. And then we commit to five minutes of reading our Bible. So even if you're new to Bible reading, we encourage you take at minimum five minutes. This week, I would encourage you to do that in Hebrews. Well, I'd love to be able to go through and explain all of Hebrews to you, but let me let me hit on just this major theme. In the book of Hebrews, one of the things that is happening is that the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to deal with false, uh, false teaching, in particular false teaching that is undermining the identity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. There were a lot of religious people, uh, people who were saying, no, no, we're, we're not saved through the work of Jesus. We're saved through keeping the law. We're saved because, uh, because as Jewish people, we follow the law of Moses, and Moses was our salvation. Or you have people who weren't Jewish, and they're like, we're saved through uh, these behaviors or these activities. And so one of the major themes of Hebrews is that the writer is establishing the fact that we are all saved, that we are made right with God, that we're moved from our place of sin and wrongness to a place of right standing with God through the only and specific work of Jesus Christ. And so as the writer is making it clear that we are made righteous through the work of Jesus Christ, he, he makes this incredible statement. He says, listen, through the work of Jesus, not through the work of Moses, not through anything else you could do, through the work of Jesus, we, we are made righteous with God and nothing else. And here's the thing, Jesus is the superior one. He is the ultimate righteous one. Remember, I read it earlier. He went through temptation just like you, and when you and I failed, he did not. And, and let's be clear, every one of us in this room have failed. Every one of us in this room have sinned. Every one of us in this room have dealt with temptation and have yielded to that temptation at some point or another in our life. And what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus, 
Jesus went through temptation like you, but the differences between me and you is that he didn't yield to that temptation. And because he didn't yield to that temptation, he's the one who is qualified to show you and I how to make it through that temptation without allowing that temptation to overcome us. It's like me trying to teach you something I've never done myself. It doesn't make any sense, does it? But if I've done it, if I've mastered it, then I'm the one that you would come to and say, now show me how to do that. You know, mom, dad, the way you go to your teenager to use your phone. You don't know how to do that, and they know, I want to I watch this video. Show me how to, right? You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't go to your, uh, well, I'm not going to go there. You find somebody who knows how to do it and has done it, and you follow that pattern. That's what Hebrews is about. He says, look, Moses is wonderful. Moses is incredible. Mo Moses served the house of God, but Moses isn't the house of God. Moses didn't build the house of God. Moses isn't the perfecter of faith. He was a wonderful man full of faith, but he had sin. Jesus, on the other hand, did what Moses couldn't do and what you and I couldn't do. He overcame it all, and because he overcame it all, we have to follow in his pattern. And the way we follow in his pattern is by not normalizing thoughts, actions, and behaviors that compromise righteousness. Jesus never compromised Righteousness. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, you'd have to go back and read Hebrews chapter 1, which again, I just encourage you to do this. The message sent by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience, get this. Every transgression, every disobedience received a just retribution. Remember just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. Please understand, Easter isn't about bunny rabbits. Easter isn't about just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Easter is about the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he took, he took the weight of of every single sin that has ever been committed on his shoulders. There was nothing cheap about your grace. There was nothing cheap about your salvation. He paid the price. There was retribution poured out on him. How shall we escape it if we neglect such a great salvation? What is the salvation he's talking about? The salvation that he's talking about is the exchange that takes place between my transgression and my disobedience and the perfect righteous work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to by us, those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, friend, what you and I have to understand is that the enemy wants you to find justification outside of Jesus. The writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to help people understand. 
It's wonderful that you've kept the law. It's wonderful that you've attempted righteousness on your own. All of that is well and good, but all of us stand guilty. And because all of us stand guilty, none of us can be justified in any other way than Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is the mega narrative of the book of Hebrews. Justification comes no other way outside of Jesus. That's where your salvation, meaning your rightness, your right standing with God, comes from. Now get this. The enemy of your soul wants you. He's luring you. He's trying to do everything that he can to get you to a place where your actions, your thoughts, your behaviors do, does not find your justification in Jesus and his righteousness, but instead finds justification some other way. See, there are some things that must be confronted. Remember I said it earlier, escape is not an issue of weakness. Escape is an issue of wisdom. And some of, some of us believe that by escaping the pressures of life, it means that we always run away. The pattern of Jesus is not that he was always running away. There were certainly times that he went and got alone. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. But there were also times when he didn't go and get alone. There were times when he stepped to the front and said, we got to do something about this. Sometimes escape is not the issue of running away. Sometimes escape is an issue of confronting things that have to be confronted. The righteousness of God demands that some things must be confronted. Understand, Jesus coming to earth was the very nature and character of God looking at your state and my state of lostness and sin and saying, I cannot take a back seat any longer. I cannot run and hide. I must confront the effect of sin. When Jesus came to earth, he did so to confront my lostness and your lostness, to establish righteousness where there was separation between us and God. John chapter 2 verses 13 through 16, I just want to show you an example of the behavior of Jesus when he didn't run and hide, but instead he confronted Escaping the effect of the distortion of the enemy was something that Jesus did sometimes by confronting. John chapter 2 verses 13 through 16 says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. Well, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. John chapter 2. If you read John chapter 2, what you're going to find is the first half of John chapter 2 is the story of Jesus at the wedding where he turns water into wine. It was a party, folks. <laughs> Jesus goes to this situation where this family is at a cultural event and they were running, they ran out of, they ran out of wine and Jesus' mother asked him, hey, would you, 
would you step in and help? And so Jesus stepped into this situation and he turned water into wine. He responded to the pressure of his mother, this cultural event, and he did a miracle, his first public miracle. And he didn't, he didn't want to do it. If you read scripture, and he didn't initially want to do it. This is wild. This is wild. Think about pressure. Who can put pressure on you? Think about it. Initially, he didn't want to do it. I don't want to do this. But mama said, hey, come on. Some of you guys, I know your mamas. <laughs> mama said, honey, these people, son, they'll be embarrassed. This great event will be, will be messed up. These people will be shamed if this doesn't happen. And Jesus responded to the pressure. And he did his first public miracle, even though Scripture says that he, he really was like, I don't think this is my time yet. Why? Think about this. Wrestle with the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. The pressure of culture, the pressure of family, the pressure of mom put Jesus in a situation in which he says, I don't know if I really want to do this miracle yet, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Why did Jesus do that? Why in that moment did the pressure move him to respond? Can I suggest to you because what happened at that wedding was consistent with the heart of God. And so because what happened at that wedding was consistent with the heart of God, even though it wasn't necessarily what Jesus perceived that he wanted to do in that situation, he allowed himself to respond because it was in alignment with the heart of God. And then the latter part of the chapter, he goes to the temple. Same culture, same cultural pressure. Same situation and opportunity for compromise. Same situation. And Jesus reacted very differently. In one moment, he allowed himself to be moved by society and culture and shame and circumstance. He allowed himself to move in that situation because it was consistent with the heart of God. On the other side, on the other side, he goes to the temple and there's money changers there. People have, you've got to read this story in context and you've got to understand it. People have traveled a long ways. They don't want to bring their sheeps with them. They don't want to bring sheeps, sheep. Sheep, sheep, right? Okay. I'm a professional communicator just in case you didn't. No. Whew. People, they, they're, they're traveling long ways. It's inconvenient. It's difficult. It's dirty. It's hard. They don't want to bring their pigeons. Who wants to travel with pigeon? They don't want to do this stuff. It'll cost them more money to bring it with them and feed them along the way. You're just going to get there and kill it anyways. Why don't I just, it's more convenient if I just get there and buy it there. And then, of course, well, if there's convenience, there's got to be a price for convenience. And so people get involved, and they start ripping people off. And before you know it, the temple has become not a place of prayer, not a place of rightness with God, not a place of righteousness. It's become a place of distortion. It's become a place of exploitation. People were, oh, i got to do a good job communicating this. People were going there to allow their shame and their guilt be laid on the altar and to be covered. 
But Jesus, seeing the situation, says, that's what's happening here is not in alignment with the heart of God. Both situations were one in which somebody needed their shame and their guilt covered. And in one space, Jesus responded to the pressure. Why? Because the heart there, the heart was in alignment with his father. And so it wasn't that he was always running, even when he didn't want to. He said, I'm going to do this because this is in alignment with the heart of my father. And the other side of it, he challenged culture. He challenged religion. He challenged people. He made a whip, and he started driving people out of the temple. Why? Because it was not in alignment with the heart of his father. It wasn't righteous. See, one kind of pressure, pressure was righteous because it was in alignment with the heart of the father. Another kind of pressure was not righteous. It was exploitive. Jesus, in that chapter, shows two very different responses to very similar pressure. The thoughts, actions, and behavior of Jesus were in alignment with the nature of God. Pastor, how do I deal with pressure? I hope you're beginning to get the picture here. When we talk about temptation, we're not just talking about eating too much ice cream. We're not, we're not just talking about not getting drunk. We're not just talking about sexual immorality, pressure, Temptation could be anything that is causing us or attempting to cause us to violate our identity, our purpose, and our destiny. That could be somebody coming up to you and challenging you, making you angry, upsetting you, cheating you in a business deal. Temptation Pressure is anything that is taking away from your dignity and your identity as a child of God and causing you to come into a place where you feel like that is being violated and you're going to make a choice in your decision. Am I going to align with the heart of God in this situation and what God has said about me and what God has declared is holy and right and righteous, whether it be in my thoughts or my behavior or my action, or am I going to align with the enemy? See, temptation, what it does is it wants you to make excuses. It wants you to compromise. It wants you to compromise your identity in that business deal because that's just the way things are done. It wants you to be a liar instead of being honest because, well, that's just how we get things done in South Africa. It wants you to be okay with paying the bribe because that's just the way you get it done. Hello? Hello? Let's not play games when we talk about righteousness. Let's not play games when we talk about the holiness of God. Let's not bifurcate our lives and act like on Sunday holiness and righteousness is one thing, but Monday through Saturday is something different. See, that's what temptation is. Temptation are those little things in your life that's pulling you away from righteousness, from rightness. This is, why, this is why the writer of the book of Hebrews says, hey, we need to pay attention to this gospel message that we've been preaching and that we've been hearing, and we need to pay attention to the claim that it makes on our life. The claim that it makes on my life is that my yes is yes and my no is no. The claim that it makes on my life is that when I walk into the temple and I see 
people being exploited when I walk into a situation and I see something that's out of alignment with God that I'm not going to shrink to the back of the room, but I'm going to step up and say, hey, that's not the heart of the Father. I won't be a part of that. I'll stand against that. I'll use my voice in that situation. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. See, there's a place that God has called us to in Christ in which we are not overwhelmed by the pressure of sin and unrighteousness and disalignment with the goodness of God. It's called rest. Sabbath isn't a day of the week. Sabbath is a state of being. It is our identity in Christ in which we are in the perfected place that God has us to be in, in His peace. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What disobedience is he talking about? He's talking about those that had come before the believers at this time who had the law, who had all of these things that would, that would align their behavior to righteousness but couldn't live up to them. Their disobedience demonstrated their unalignment with the nature and character of God. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying Jesus has provided something different for us. And the way that we live in that different is by being obedient to him and his word. Because the book of Hebrews, as other places established, Jesus is the word. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, pressure is alleviated in our lives when we enforce an uncompromised allegiance to God's word. Jesus goes to the temple that day and says, you know what, I'm not putting up with this. We've got to confront this. Because what you're doing is distorting the word of God. It's distorting the beauty of the moment that God brings his people to in which their sins are covered, their shame is covered. You've turned it into a, a place of exploitation. You've turned it into a place where some people get rich and others are robbed of their dignity. You've turned it into a game. You've turned it into an act of convenience. You've turned it into an act that costs you as little as possible. Jesus says, I, I, I'm not going to just not align with this. I'm going to confront this. You and I are called to a place in our life, friend, where we will not, we will not allow for a place of compromise in our lives. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, God has spoken, and his word is clear. And when we align with his word in obedience, then we live in peace. Many people say to me, Pastor Andy, why don't I have peace in my life? One of my first questions is, are you living in alignment with God's word? Are you obeying God's word? Scripture teaches us the principle from the front to the back. Obedience releases and aligns us with blessing. Disobedience aligns us and releases us into the place of curse. 
Not that God's up in heaven whacking you on the head, but that you and I have chosen to walk out from under the covering of his blessing. And so we walk into the reality of the curse. It is our choice. Every single person in this room makes a choice. You either align yourself with the goodness and blessing of God through obedience, which means that you are in his rest, which means no matter what the pressure is, it can make no claim on you because you are made righteous in Christ. Or you align yourself with the place of compromise in your life where you say, I will determine my own righteousness, I will determine my own rules. And like the people that Paul was writing about in Hebrews... The, we become so good at writing our own rules, finding our own exceptions, taking God's word and twisting it and finding shortcuts and arounds. And, oh, I talked about this last week. Oh, I know he said this, but he probably means this. And in my situation, it has to look like this. I, I, know, that, I know that I'm supposed to bring a lamb from my flock for this sacrifice, but... I mean, God loves me, and he knows it's a long travel, and, you know, that would be really stinky in my car. And, you know, he probably, he, I, he understands, because he's a good, good father. We sang that on Sunday. And he doesn't want mess in the floorboard of my car. So certainly he doesn't want me to bring my own lamb from my own flock. Am I the only one who does this? talks myself into this place of rewriting God's very clear word to make it as ambiguous as possible, as compromised as possible, as convenient for me as possible. Jesus didn't just ignore it. He ran to it and he confronted it and he called it what it was. This is out of alignment with the heart of my Father. In our lives, when it comes to overcoming temptation, when it comes to overcoming pressure, no matter what form it is in our life, there has to be some hard lines driven in the sand. Pastor Randy, where do I find those hard lines? I find those hard lines by reading God's Word. What does it say? It says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Does that mean a lot of people are going to come in next Sunday with a patch over their eye? No. What it means is, sir, there are things you're not supposed to be watching. Because it is a place of compromise in your life. And it violates your dignity, and it violates the dignity of your spouse. It violates the dignity of your daughter because that's somebody else's daughter. I'm sorry. I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired of us playing games so we can fill buildings and feel good about ourselves. We need to call it what it is. Sin. Oh, but I've had a hard week. I just need to wind down. The Bible's clear about drunkenness. It's clear. It's clear about drunkenness. There's no gray area. It's clear. Oh, but you don't understand the pressure that I'm under. No, I don't, but he does. 
The Bible says whatever pressure you're under, he knows it. He lived through it. Uh, I don't know about that. He sweat great drops of blood. A physical reaction to stress beyond any of our comprehension is literally sweating blood. That's how much pressure he was under. So I know the business deal is hard. I understand it's difficult. But sir, it's not a license for drunkenness. Scripture's pretty clear about it. I don't understand, Pastor. Why can I not get anywhere spiritually? It's because I keep writing myself, like those followers of the law, I keep writing myself all of these compromises for areas in my life that release the curse of the enemy, and then I don't understand why I'm not living in blessing. You and I have to determine. We have to determine. Either I will, remember the writer of the book of Hebrews said it earlier, the Holy Spirit was given to us to bring us into alignment and to demonstrate the work of Jesus. We either have to say, I'm going to cooperate and align myself with the work of the Holy Spirit in and through me, or I'm just going to keep making excuses for compromising my life and allow temptation, allow pressure to produce in me what the enemy has been trying to produce, which is my destruction. Because he hates you, and he wants to destroy you. Your father, on the other hand, Scripture says, has provided a way of escape. And his name is Jesus. So the question is whether or not you're going to align your life with the way of Jesus, which means confronting unrighteousness, or you're going to align yourself with the enemy, which is called excusing unrighteousness. 